Good morning. How's everybody doing today? Woohoo! It's good to see all of you. I was like one of you that was excited about that. It's probably the worst woohoo I've ever heard in my life. Um, you know, it's been raining most of the morning, and earlier, I think we could have rented out this space for an afternoon nap the way the rain sounded on the tin roof. So maybe you got lulled to sleep during the uh, music. So let's try that again. How's everybody doing this morning? Okay, that's good. Uh, good to see you. We are in week number four of a series that we're calling It's Not Too Late. And um, this is becoming one of my favorite series. I know I tend to say that a lot, but this truly has become one of my favorite series. And um, this morning is probably, uh, if not my favorite message that's going to be in the series, I think it's the uh, one I'm most excited about. And so I'm glad you're here. Um, the whole premise of this series is just imagining you had the opportunity to go back and talk to your younger self and have a conversation based upon the wisdom that you now have. And the idea is, what would you tell them? And, uh, and I realize that um, depending on your age, depends on, determines how far back in time you would go, right? So like for me, I've been thinking about this like 20, 25 years ago. If I could go back 20, 25 years in time, what would I go back and sell myself? If you're older than me, you may be thinking 30, 40 years. If you're younger than me, you may be thinking a year. Uh, but I have probably asked two dozen people this question. If you could go back and talk to your younger self, what would you tell them? And this is the interesting finding that I've had from asking that question. With rare exception, do I find that once that person tells me that answer, with rare exception, do I discover that it's too late for them to take that advice? Uh, for the most part, uh, whatever that answer is, today would be a good day to, be take, to begin taking that advice. And so it's where we come up with the series idea of it's not too late, is most of the time the advice you would give your younger self is good advice to take today. For instance, uh, let's say that your advice was financial. You know, maybe you're, maybe you're a little older and you're recognizing that you didn't save enough for retirement, let's say. And so you'd say to me, well, Matt, I would go back and tell my younger self, save more money. Well, here's the crazy thing. It doesn't matter how old you are. That's pretty good advice today. You could begin today. Now, you might not recoup those years, but making a bad decision for 20 years doesn't mean it's good to keep making that bad decision this week. Today's a good day to begin to make the right choices. Uh, same thing, relationships. Uh, last week, Todd and Q, depending on which service you were in, gathering you were in, uh, talked about relationships. Uh, when it comes to avoiding the wrong relationships, embracing the right relationships, that's a good, that's good advice for today. Again, you might not recoup the last 20 years, but you can begin to make the right decisions today. And uh, today is a message that I think is very pertinent to that very thing. Today we're going to talk about parenting. And, um, you know, I, I, have a, uh, I have two boys. Many of you know that. I have a 20-year-old and 23-year-old, Jalen and Jaren. And um, most of you have met my boys. And uh, I guess most many of you have. And uh, so I've been doing this parenting thing for about 23 years, and um, I'm certainly not perfect. We're going to talk about that a little bit today. I'm certainly not perfect. Uh, but one thing I'll say is when I found out that Jennifer was pregnant with Jalen, um, I, I just had kind of that fundamental switch at that moment where I just realized that if I didn't do anything else in life, if I didn't accomplish anything else, the one thing I want to do is be a great dad. Um, and, and for whatever reason, right, wrong, indifferent, uh, that just became a high priority in my life. And, um, and over the years, uh, to, to the boys' credit, uh, Jennifer has done a great job filling in for the gaps of where uh, I was not that. 
Uh, I get told all the time that I have good boys, and Jennifer is certainly to blame for that uh, for the most part. Um, but um, I want to just kind of spend the morning um, showing you a passage of Scripture um, that I found interesting this week, or last week actually as I was preparing, uh, and then showing you another piece of Scripture that has guided um, the way that I've parented and, um, and just make some points. And I, I want you to know this. Um, I, here's the challenge of this morning for me as a communicator today is the parenting spectrum is all over the place in the room and watching online, right? We have people who are not parents, right? There's a lot of those in the room, a lot of you who are not a parent. Um, there are people who are parents of young kids. There's parents of middle school kids. There's parents of high school kids, college kids. There's parents of adult kids. There's grandparents. May even be a great-great-grandparent great in the room, potentially. Um, and then there's those who are not parents and never want to be parents and you know, couldn't possibly want anything to do with being a parent. And then there's some that, like, I mean, you'd like to just fill up the whole house and just be a parent of, like, thousands. I mean, there's all spectrums. And I want to try to have something to say to every person this morning, which is a little bit of a challenge. And so if you're here and you're like, well, I picked a terrible Sunday to come because I'm not a parent. Just hang in there. I actually think that there might even be something uh, for you, all right? But at the risk, at the risk of it seeming as though I'm just an expert and uh, I'm up here today just to tell you how to do things, I, I want to tell you a story. Uh, my boys love the fact that, uh, that they get to be uh, utilized as sermon illustrations. It's one of the great joys of being a pastor's kid is uh, they get to do that. And so uh, my oldest son's not here this morning, and so I figured I could tell a story about him because he's not here. Uh, so Jalen, when Jalen was, uh, I don't know, a year and a half old, I don't know how old he was, it's that age, and if, if you've got children, you know this age, it's the age when it's time for, for them to start sleeping in the big boy bed or big girl bed. Y'all know what age I'm talking about? Whatever that is. So Jalen, had, uh, he had reached that age, and we got him a bed. And, you know, it was a nice bed. It was, it was fine. There was nothing wrong with the bed. Wasn't like it was, you know, uncomfortable or anything. But he had determined that his bed was not as good as mine and Jennifer's bed. And, uh, and I know that to be the case, not because he told me, but because he kept showing up in our bed. And, um, and I just decided that that was just not going to work for me. Uh, I, you know, I'm like, he's like a year and a half old. I'll turn around, he'll be 15, still won't sleep in the bed with us. It's just not going to work for me. And so I told Jennifer, I said, today is the day. She's like, really, what, what, what day is today? I said, today's the day. I nip it in the bud. It's over. Going to be no more sleeping in our bed after tonight. I said, we're going to lay down the law, set the standard. Going to sleep in his bed. So it got to be nighttime, bedtime. Took him into his room. And he's like, Dad, why don't we go into my room? Like, it's bedtime, son. That's not where I sleep. Well, it is tonight. So we go in there and sit him down on the bed. I said, hey, Jalen, it's bedtime. Yeah? I said, you're going to sleep in here? No. Nope. I said, oh, we're going to sleep in here tonight, Jalen. If you get up out of this, I want you to understand. And I was real clear. Clarity was a priority. I said, Jalen, I want you to listen to me. If you get up out of this bed before morning, I'm going to give you a spanking. I'm going to give you a whipping. Do you understand? He said, yes, sir. I said, okay. So I kissed him goodnight, closed, turned out the light, closed the door. We lived in a house where the bedroom, there was a living room in the middle of the house, bedrooms were on, two bedrooms on one side, our bedroom on the other. I think they called it a split floor plan. 
And so you had to go through the living room to get to our bedroom. I close the door, say goodnight, close the door, start heading to my bedroom when this little small version of myself comes sprinting by me. He runs right past me, opens up the door, goes, jumps to the bed with his mama. I'm like, well, I guess he's got to learn his lesson, so I go in there and get him. I take him back into the room, and I whip him. Now, I understand at this point there may be somebody in the room that's like, Mm, I'm not a big fan of corporal punishment, Matt. Well, a couple of things. You can pretend as though I just set him in timeout. That's okay. It's your prerogative. You can go with that. Uh, you can do whatever makes you feel better. I would highly recommend you don't email me and gripe about me whipping my kid. Um, I mean, you can do that. I can also whip you. But anyway, that's okay. Um, I'm kidding, sort of. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm a fan. I'm, I mean, I, I think that uh, I, you, you parent the way you want to parent when it comes to discipline, but I thought this was a great idea. I was... Uh, I was 21 years old, I think, 22 years old, something like that when he was born, 22, uh, 21, I guess. I thought this was a great plan at this point, at 22, and so I whipped him, and he's crying. I'm like, I have made my point. So I look at him again and said, Jalen, I'm going back to bed. You're going to sleep in here. If you get up, I'm going to whip you. So I turn out the light, close the door. I almost make it to the bedroom door before he races by me again, jumps into bed with his mama. So I take him back into the bedroom, and I whip him again. And I say, Jalen, you're going to sleep in here tonight. If you get up out of this bed, I'm going to whip you. I turn out the light, close the door, walk across the living room, go to the bedroom, close the door. And about the time I lay down, I hear my door open. He jumps in the bed with me again. This goes on for 22 times that night. 22 whippings. At this point, my wife is squalling. I don't even know if that's a word. But it's what you do in the South at some point in that game. She's crying. I'm crying. Jalen's kind of crying. And I've got him in his room, and I'm like exasperated. And I'm like, Jalen, if you get up again, I'm going to whip you. And he looks at me right now and goes, Daddy, when your arm gets tired of whipping me, I'm going to come get in the bed with you. I said, you should probably just head right over there, through the hallway, down and just go, right? And so the next day, we fixed this solution. We got a futon mattress, put it underneath our bed, pulled it out every night, let him lay in it until he was like 41 years old. I don't know. Anyway, no, it, until Jaron was born. Once Jaron was born, Jalen was ready to go to a bedroom by himself. He's been independent ever since, didn't want anything to do with any of us. Uh, and that, that's kind of, and I tell you that, not so you can be like, you whipped your kids 22 times, we are past the like, you know, I mean, it's been seven years. I mean, you, you can't hold me accountable for that anymore. Uh, but not so you could be like, why would you whip your kids 22 times? I tell you that story to tell you this. I ain't got it all figured out, okay? I, I don't know everything there is to know about this thing called parenting. And by the way, if you're here and you're like, I know everything there is to know and I'm the expert, there's a couple of options. Uh, you could take my place this morning or we could probably just assume that, you know, you don't know what you're talking about. And so, because uh, if there's anything I know about being a parent, it seems like the more that you parent, the more you realize you don't know about parenting. And just when you think you got it figured out, you don't have it figured out. Um, and maybe you're blessed differently than I'm blessed with kids. Uh, for me, my two boys are exactly opposite. So right as I could figure out what was great and what would work with Jalen, uh, Jaron's the opposite. And if you've met both of my boys, you know that. You know, Jalen, when he was little, we'd put a pallet out in the middle of the living room floor set him down on it, throw a couple of toys, turn the TV on, he'd just sit there for hours. Jaron comes along, and I'm like, this baby thing's pretty easy. We set him down on the same pallet, and I looked over about 10 minutes later, 
He crawled underneath the end table and was chewing on lamp wires. I'm like, I what in the world? I mean, what? I thought these things, I thought they did something normal. You know, I thought they were supposed to do the same thing. So, you know, maybe it's like right as I figured out, I don't have it figured out. And, and if you find yourself in a place where as a parent you feel somewhat exasperated, uh, worse, maybe you feel like you're failing or a failure, um, this morning I want to I take you to a place in Scripture that I think gives us some very helpful advice um, that I think when we apply it, um, I think that we can sort of wrap our heads around what, this, what, the, what the objective is as a parent, and so I want to take you there. Before we do, I do want to pray uh, for us that we would listen uh, carefully what the Holy Spirit says this morning, so let's pray together. Father, thank you that your word provides us answers to, to virtually any issue that we would have questions about, and this morning I pray that you would open up our hearts and minds to hear what you want us, want us to hear, um, and then to have the courage to obey what you show us. In Jesus' name, amen. So there's this interesting passage of Scripture interesting narrative in the book of Genesis, very first book of the Bible, um, that deals with a story of parenting. And I think it kind of lays a foundation for where I want to go this morning. And just to kind of bring you up to speed, it, it, you may be unfamiliar with, with these, these people in the Bible, but there's, there's these two brothers, Jacob and Esau. They're twin brothers. Esau is the oldest. Jacob's the youngest by just like seconds, all right? Uh, Jacob comes out holding on to Esau's ankle uh, is, is how closely they are born together. But because Esau's the oldest, he was entitled to the lion's share portion of his father's inheritance. And, uh, and that was a huge deal in the Old Testament, this idea uh, of inheritance, this idea of birthright. And, um, and Jacob, now Esau, that, that name means red hairy one, uh, which, you know, you got to love a mom who names her, and, a, and a dad who's like, I mean, wouldn't you love to have that name? Uh, now, Jacob, that means swindler. And from the time he was born, grabbing hold of his, of his brother's ankle, he, he lived up to his expectation of being a swindler. And one day his brother is out hunting. Uh, he comes in famished. He's starving. He's really hungry. And Jacob tricks him, sort of, uh, but, and trades him out of his birthright for a bowl of stew. He trades his entire future for a bowl of stew. And even though Esau agreed to it, if you can imagine this, can you imagine if your brother, your sibling, basically swindled you out of your inheritance, obviously that began a life of bitterness and resentment between Esau and Jacob. Now, Jacob and his mother also betrayed Jacob's father into, in, in the same way to convince him to give Jacob the birthright. And so it was just this constant swindle, uh, swindling by Jacob and bitterness from Esau. And years go on. And even though there's a saying that time heals all wounds, the reality is that's not necessarily the case. Uh, time can heal wounds that, 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 that are prepared to be healed. But wounds like that, time often just adds gangrene to the situation. Bitterness just develops. And so there comes a day when Jacob is kind of ready to reconcile, uh, but he's not sure where Esau is. And, and so he knows that he's going to meet him. I mean, they know that there's about to be an encounter. They're traveling. They know there's going to be an encounter. And so Jacob comes up with another plan, being the swindler. He's amassed quite a fortune of money. And so what he does is he, he takes all of his, his herds and flocks of animals, and he divides them up by species, and he decides to give them away as a gift. And so what he does is like puts the cattle up front, like 40 cows, and he puts one of his servants with the 40 cows. He puts them up front. 
And then, you know, about a day back in the journey, he puts like 40 sheep with a servant over them and and then some camels about a day's journey behind that. And, And here's his plan. They're heading toward Esau. And he don't want to all get there at once. He wants to kind of butter him up. And his plan is, is that when Esau bumps into these guys with the cattle, Esau will be like, now who are y'all? And he said, oh, well, we're Jacob's servants. Are you Esau? Yeah, I am Esau. Well, he sent us ahead to give you these cows. And Esau will be like, well, that was nice of my, you know, crooked brother. And then a day later, you know, they bump into the sheep and be like, now who are you? Oh, we're with Jacob. Are you Esau? Yeah, well, my brother wants you to have these sheep. It's like, well, I mean, cattle and sheep, not too bad. And, and he kind of get buttered up before he met him. And basically, Jacob's saying, I just don't want Esau to kill me. I'll give up some of these, some of these animals. I just don't want to die. Well, it turns out that eventually they do meet. <clears throat> and Esau's exactly the opposite of what Jacob expects. In fact, Esau is very forgiving and, and basically says, brother, you don't even have to give me all these animals. It's no big deal. I mean, let's just call it good between us. And, and it's crazy. It just shows this remarkable story of grace uh, and res- reconciliation. And right after that happens, Esau says to Jacob, he says, look, let's, let's just, let, let's put all this behind us and let's just head back into town. And so now these two families with all of their animals and, and all of their families, all their kids, all of their servants, Esau's like, let's travel together and let's just head home. And, and, and I imagine it must be several days journey. And Jacob has an answer for him that's really, really interesting that I want you to see. This is what Jacob says. Jacob says, let my Lord, and by Lord, he's talking about Esau. He's not talking about the Lord. He's talking about Esau. He says, you go ahead and pass on ahead of me, and I will lead on slowly. I'll go slow. At the pace of the livestock that are ahead of me, now watch this, and at the pace of the children until I come to my Lord in Sierra. Jacob says, and, and there, there are different people in how they translate this or how they interpret this. There are some that say that Jacob is still scared of Esau and doesn't want to travel with him because he's afraid he might kill him in his sleep. I'll be honest with you. As I've read this narrative multiple times, I don't think that's the case. Uh, I don't see anything indicating in the story that, that Jacob is at all concerned. I mean, that Esau, or Jacob's at all concerned with Esau. I don't see anything that indicates that, that Esau is not truly forgiving uh, here's what I think. I think that Jacob has been so conniving and he has pushed his family and his flocks and his herds and his servants so hard to prepare to meet Esau that they're exasperated. They're exhausted. And Jacob has the wisdom to recognize what's going on. He looks around and he says, as much as I'd like to get back with you, as much as I would like you know, we, we're finally got our family back together. I'm finally restored the relationship with my brother that you would think would be the priority. He looks around and says, but at this moment, I don't need to go at a pace faster than my children. And as I look around, and I, I'm not that old, but I'm a lot older now than when we started this thing called LifePoint. And over the years of people watching and doing life and raising two boys, As I look around, I will tell you this, that I think the tendency of our culture and the tendency that I had as a dad was to outpace my kids. And I think that a lot of us, if we don't 
um, intentionally develop some parameters, we will outpace our kids. And what I mean by that is, is that, um, is that we, will, we will put the pace of our careers and the pace of our promotions, the pace of our ambition, um, the pace of our even relationships, the pace of our social media status and the way people view us and think about us, um, the way people see us and where we live and what we drive. I think if we're not careful, we'll put the pace of all of those things in achievement. We, we, we will go at that pace in life rather than at the pace of our children. And, and, and here's the thing now, I want to be very careful because I think there's some people in the room, it's like, oh, you ain't talking to me. You ain't talking to me, preacher. I go at the pace of my kids. You ought to see the pace I go. I'm running around with them on travel ball and travel dance and, you know, travel, I don't know, sewing. I don't know. I don't know what all we travel and do now. We travel and do everything. We, I do that. And I mean, my kids got 32 hobbies and then we got schoolwork and we got sports. And I mean, let me tell you what I've done. I put my life on hold for my kids. I'm not talking about that pace either. Listen, if, if the kids in your house or the sun with which everything else revolves around, you've got just as many issues as you do if they don't even, if you're neglecting them. You see, the idea of going at the pace of your children is this, and I don't want you to miss this. It's understanding that in God's divine plan, if he has blessed you with children, he has an expectation of your investment in the next generation. Don't, I mean, don't see your job as smaller than what it is. As a parent, your responsibility is to steward the next generation of leadership. You say, my kids may not be a leader. They'll be a leader of something. Everybody leads something. And our responsibility as parents is to recognize that God has entrusted to us the next generation, and we have a responsibility to do something with it. And what that means is to slow down to the pace of your children, to understand them, to mold them, to grow them, to invest in them, and I think this, to help them understand what it is to live up to their God-given abilities. And so how do we do that? Right? It's like a really easy thing to go, man, here's this obscure passage in Genesis. Go at the pace of your kids, right? And we just let everybody leave, and y'all go figure that out, right? But I Actually, I want to show you what I think. This has kind of been the guiding verse of, of my life as a dad that I want to show you. And I think in it lies the, the, the what behind this, the, the ideal. What does it look like to go at the pace of your kids? I, I think this is what it looks like. It's found in the book of Ephesians. Um, and, and before we get there, I want to tell you. So Ephesians is a book that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. It's a letter. And, and this is what I love about the New Testament authors. And just kind of bear with me for a second. This is what I love. So in the New Testament, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we see where Jesus hung out with people. And he in particularly hung out with 12 men and some ladies. And, and after he leaves, on, on like the, the last days that he spends with these men and these ladies, in an upper room, he looks at them and he says, I'm going to give you, I give you a new covenant, a new way of doing things, a new principle, a new ideal, a new like a new statement to live life by. And he says, this is the new parameter of living life. And he says this, he says, in the same way you've seen me love others, I mean, the same way I've loved you, love one another. And essentially what Jesus says is, I've spent three years teaching you a lot of stuff, doing a lot of miracles, 
preaching great sermons, but the entire time I've spent with you is to demonstrate how much I love you so that then you can know how much I love you and go love the same way I loved. And then what happens in the New Testament is all of these, these apostles of Jesus that saw how he lived, that, that saw how he loved, then began, and they began to spread the message of the gospel of the resurrection of Jesus. And when people began to believe, they inspired them to live out this mantra of love like Jesus loved. And so most of the New Testament writings are the, the apostles saying, here's what it looks like to love like Jesus in this situation. Now you say, why does that matter, Matt? Well, here's why it matters. You see, in the culture that we read in Genesis, in the culture that we see in the time that Jesus was living, children and women had no value. That's so important. I want you to hear that for a minute. It had no value. This is so odd that Jacob would go at the pace of the children because nobody, no man in that day and time gave a rip about the pace of the children. They were just property. If, if mom had said, the kids are tired, dad would have said, then pick them up and carry them. And I don't care about them and I don't care about you. Throw them up on a, throw them on a donkey or a camel. Do whatever you got to do. We got to go. It, this is so odd. And then when you get into the, the turn of the century, the turn of the millennium, I mean, when you get to Jesus showing up, women and children were just a property. They, they were just, they, they had no value. And then Jesus says this to his disciples. He says, in the same way you see me love, love one another. You see, Jesus, who surrounded himself with, with ladies, no other rabbi did that. Drove them all crazy, drove the culture crazy. He had the ladies around him. He, he, he gave them, he, he, he lifted them up. And then in one of my favorite stories, they're kids who want to hang out with Jesus and the disciples go over and say, hey, y'all got to get away from him. You know why the disciples told the kids to get away from Jesus? Because it's what everybody would have done in that day and time. There's no way anybody let kids bug somebody who was important. They were just doing what they had seen done hundreds of times. They're like, y'all got to get away from him. And Jesus hears it and goes, what did y'all just say? And he goes, no, 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 no. Don't run them off. Tell them to come on over. I was wanting to play checkers. Bring them over. I'm going to hang out with the kids. And then years later, as they're all trying to figure out how to do life the way Jesus taught them to do life, you can only imagine the disciples going, Love others in the way you've seen me love you. In the way you've watched me love while I was on this earth, I want you to love that way. And here's the crazy result of it. In every culture that the world has ever known, women and children have been nothing but property. But as soon as the gospel gets introduced in those cultures, guess what happens? Women and children begin to be elevated. In every time, every time in the history of the world, from the time of Jesus, every time that the gospel finds its way to a culture, women are elevated and children are elevated. Why? Because if you love like Jesus loves, you can't treat people like property. doesn't matter their gender or their age, you can't treat them like property. And so Paul, writing to the church of Ephesus, takes some time to say, he says, dads, I want to address something to you. He addresses it specifically to fathers, which is interesting because if you're here today and you go, well, I'm a mom. I thought you was going to say something to me. Well, I am. The principle will be the same. You say, well, then why did Paul say fathers? Well, listen very clearly, dads in the room. 
if his dads will get this right, the family will get it right. See, Paul's just doing the whole keep it simple method. He didn't have to say moms because he knew if dad will get it right, mom will get it right. It's not chauvinistic. It's not male egotistical. It's just order. You know what? That you, dad, if, if we want to get it right as parents, dad, if you'll get it right, the family will get it right. You want to get it right as a family? Husbands get it right. The family will get it right. It'll just work. You say, I don't know if that'll work, Matt. Well, try it. It'll probably work better than what you're doing. Try it. Come back in like a year and go, hey, I tried to do that. My wife's still crazy. Come try it. What's it going to hurt? You were wrong, Matt. She didn't. Look. Okay. You know what you're going to come back and go, it's better than what I was doing before. So Paul addresses the dads. And, and moms get to kind of eavesdrop and discover that it's a great principle for moms too. So watch this. Here's what he says. Paul says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. And let me just tell you, whenever whoever stood up to read Paul's letter at the church of Ephesus and he read, fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, there were dads in that room that was like, I promise you this happened. They were like, who does he think he is? Because no one in that day cared. It didn't seem improper. It didn't seem odd for dads to provoke their children to anger. You know why? Dads gave no regards to their children's emotions. And then here comes Paul along. He goes, hey, dads, take responsibility and don't provoke your children to anger. Now, what does that mean? Well, it's this whole idea of just exasperating our children. Just unnecessarily provoking them. Just I, here's what I think it is. I'll be honest with you. Here's what I think in our culture. This is, I think this is a big part of it. I think it's the idea that most of us, and I've been here, all right? I've been there. I'm still there today. I bet you this will define your house. All right, you ready? You give everything you got all day long. Whether your mom or your dad, especially if you're in the workplace, mom or daddy, when you give everything you got. You work hard, you, you've got a job to do, and you come home exhausted, and your kids and your family get the worst of you. I think that's a great way to provoke your children to wrath, to anger. Because at that point, you're tired. They just want some, they, they need your attention, they need your affection, they need your care, they need your time, and you're exhausted, and you're short. And, and, and let me tell you something I learned as a parent. These kids, they're not nearly as dumb as we wish they were. They pick up on it. They, they know when they're not that important. They know when they're getting less than your best. And, and we may talk about this later on in the message, but I'll give you a little precursor to it. The crazy thing about that dynamic is, is that you are given the people who will one day replace you your best and asking the people who can't replace you to sacrifice. So what do you mean? Well, let me tell you, I don't know how important you are where you work. But if you kick over dead this afternoon, before the end of next week, they'll find somebody else to do what you're doing. You're not near as important as you think you are. You say, not at my place. I own the place. Well, they'll all go find something else to do. They won't just die themselves. They'll just 
do something else. They'll call somebody else boss. They'll call somebody else employee. But nobody ought to ever call you daddy. Or nobody, no, your kids should never call anybody else daddy. You see, you're, you're giving your highest priority to the ones who will replace you while asking the ones who can't replace you to sacrifice. It's an easy way to provoke your children to anger. Paul says, don't, don't do that. And then, and then he says this, and, I, and this is where I want us to focus. He says, instead of doing that, he says, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. And I really love, I, 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 for all, all afresh and all new again, as I was able to read this last week, I was actually preparing for last Sunday to, to share this. I just fell in love with the idea of bring them up. Like, and I don't think it's just meaning like raising and rearing. And I think it's this idea that my responsibility as a dad, and I don't want you to miss this, my, your responsibility as a parent, you ready, is, is to make it better for your kids. I don't mean just financially. I'm talking about to create the type of environment where you, you're just bringing them up. You are elevating them. You are creating an environment where they can be all that God's designed them to be. Make it better. I'm telling you, there, there are no prouder moments in my life than when somebody says, man, I had a chance to hang out with your son, whichever one it is this week. And man, they are great boys. Let me tell you something. There's nothing, there's no higher compliment in my life. You know why? Because, because I think when I hear that, I say, well, that, they better be, number one. And number two, that's, that's what God can do in their life when there's the right environment and they get an opportunity to be brought up. I want, I want my boys to be, exalted. I want them to be lifted up. I want, I want my responsibility to be, how, not, not how can I use my authority and wield it over you, but how can I use my authority to elevate you, to make it better? He says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I, from the time my boys were little, before they could talk, I tried to tell them, God has a plan for your life and you don't want to miss it. I'm, I'm interested in what you do as a career. I'm more interested in what you do as a person. What does God want you to do in your life? And how can I help you fulfill his dream for your life? So let me ask you this. If you had to go home and evaluate right now, how, what kind of grade would you give yourself? A scale of 1 to 10 or an A, B, C, D, and F. What would you give yourself? How would you grade yourself on how well you are bringing them up? How well are you making it better? How well are you bringing them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord? And, and whatever that grade is, like right now as you're thinking about whatever that grade is, I bet there's some people in the room that right now you're like, well, sure wished I'd have heard this a while back. Sure wished I'd have heard this 30 years ago. Matt, my boys are... 35 years old. Wished I'd have heard this 40 years ago. My daughter's 40. Well, can I say this to you? It's not too late. You know what the greatest lessons I'm learning about parenting right now is? Is that I don't stop being a parent when my boys turn 20. I just have to learn how to be a different parent. And I'm going to still be their parent. I'll still be their dad when they're 26 and 36 and 46 and 106, if I can outlive them, right? 
it's not too late to be the parent you should have been. And I want to give you the four things, and I know we're a little bit over, and you just kind of hang with me, I'll go fast. I want to give you four things real quick, and I don't normally do this, that, and I don't think it's an exhaustive list, but it's four things that are on my mind that if I could just pass along to you that I think would be helpful. And bottom line this morning that I came up with was this, pace yourself as a parent. Pace yourself. Jacob said he's going to go at the pace of his kids. Pace yourself as a parent. And what I mean by that is your job, no, hear me clear. Make sure back row can hear, all right? Y'all listen. Your job as a parent is to create the environment for growth. You're not responsible for the results. Your kids have an opportunity to make a decision to follow Christ, not follow Christ, be responsible, not be responsible. Choose the things that are good. Choose the things that are bad. It's your responsibility to bring them up in instruction and discipline. It's not your responsibility to, to bear for the decisions that they make. And secondly, I would say, as you pace yourself as a parent, learn to evaluate yourself as a parent in big stretches of time, not little stretches of time. Right? Like a year and a half, and 22 whippings later, I was a terrible parent. If we evaluate that day, that was horrible, just short of criminal. All right? Pace yourself. Let me tell you where I'm at today. For the last 23 years, I've been trying to think about what I wanted to be as a parent when my kids were 25. Well, they're 23 and 20, so now I've pushed that out. I'm like, what kind of dad do I want to be when they're 35? I'm thankful today that whatever I did, I did a couple of things right. There's at least one goal I had is I wanted to be friends with my boys when they were adults, not just when, not when they were kids. And my two boys are my two best friends for the most part. Um, we love hanging out together. Um, we still probably drive each other crazy some, but it's like I'm hanging out with my buddies, not like I'm hanging out with my kids. And so pace yourself. Begin to see it as a space of time. Seasons in parenting will stink there will be days that are terrible. What are you doing with the time, right? What are you doing in the season? So pace yourself as a parent. So I took the word pace. These are the four things that I think I would focus on. We'll go fast. Number one, your responsibility is to protect. I don't mean dads in the room. I don't mean just physically protect, although you should do that as well. I mean, learn what it means to protect your, parent, your, your children emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, how to create an environment that is safe for them so that they can have the conversations that they need to have and also so that you can create an environment for them to be able to grow. They've got to be, you've got to protect them. Uh, I think, you know, I don't know a lot about girls. I'll be honest, I didn't have any. I just got two boys. But um, the two things I would say, if you're a parent, particularly dads in the room, I'm talking directly to you, if you have boys, the one thing they can never hear enough from you are these words, I am proud of you. They can't hear it enough. In fact, if you're a dad of some boys, chances are that's the, one of the greatest things they want to hear. And don't assume they know it if you haven't said it. Say it all the time. If you have a daughter from years of student ministry, this is what I think I learned uh, they need to hear that they are beautiful, they are enough, they are sufficient. And, and I would just warn you from being a student pastor and a pastor, if you don't say it, some scumbag will be glad to say it for you and you'll end up with the results that you don't like. You don't say it enough, they will. Learn to say it. Help them to understand that their identity is not what social media says their identity is. 
approval is not based on what some 17-year-old boy thinks is attractive. Learn to define what beauty is for your daughters and make sure they know how much you think of them. Protect them emotionally, psychologically, spiritually. A is for advise. It's our responsibility to advise as parents. Our problem is we typically don't know the difference between advice and nagging. Um, And I will tell you this, that the older your children get, the more you're going to have to navigate the difference between advice and nagging. It's a tough thing to figure out, but you got to work on it. We're told to bring them up in the instruction of the Lord. They need to know what's right and what's not right. They need to know what's wise and unwise. It's your responsibility to help guide that. All right? I will say this about boys, because again, I don't know about girls. The older your boys get, the more your advice will sound like nagging. So you, you got to be really careful that you're not, you're not second-guessing what you have led them to be as a parent. You can't constantly second-guess everything they do, even when you know it's not right, right? Two things I've decided that I'm not going to do is I'm going to give my boys advice. My granddad told me this. He said, advice is always meant to be given, not taken. And so I'm going to advise my boys all the time. I don't care if they get to be, a, if they're 50, I'm going to tell them what I think. I'm going to never expect them to take my advice. That's their responsibility to decide what to do. And I'll never say I told you so when they choose the wrong way. You know why? Because when they make a mistake and do something that I knew was coming. By the way, you know what? All the parents in the room, you know why we know it's a mistake? Because we've made it, right? We're not because we're smarter. We just know we've made them. But here's the reason I'll never say I told you so. It's because I don't want to forfeit the next opportunity for that advice. We advise, we protect, we care. Dads in the room is probably the hardest ones because we tend to think that it's the mom's responsibility to nurture and care as a cop-out. It's our responsibility to nurture and care as well, to create an environment where growth can happen. If you plant a garden, you don't have to focus on the plant and the fruit. You can focus on the soil. You make sure the soil is healthy you nurture the soil, the plant will grow and fruit will happen. The same thing's true in your kid's life. If you'll create a nurturing environment where, it's, where, where they are cared for, where you are concerned about them, I promise you growth and fruit will come. And then finally, maybe the most difficult, exemplify. It's your responsibility to be the example. This idea of do what I say and not what I do is ineffective and dumb. You know what I began to realize as my boys have gotten older? The very few times that they drive me crazy about something. If I look real closely, I realize that they're just emulating something that they've seen in me. You know what I mean? Like every, time, every now and then, I'll, since Jalen's not here, I mean, I can pick on him. And like, I'm like, dang, Jalen, why are you so opinionated on everything? And Jennifer from across the room will go, What? Seriously? You have to ask that question? I'm like, yeah, but I mean, I'm right. He's not, right? But why, why, are, you, why are you so short-tempered? Like, why, when you get tired, why do you bite everybody's head off? Oh, huh. You see, chances are, if you want to know what your kids are going to look like in about 15 or 20 years, I'll tell you how to do it. Go home today. Get you some Windex. 
Go to the bathroom, spray it on the window, on the mirror. Clean it off real good. And then look real deeply into the reflection that you see. And you'll get a good idea of the direction your kids are heading. You say, man, I'm not even a parent. What's the point in me? Everybody in the room has an opportunity to invest in the next generation. It doesn't have to be your children to do that. Set the pace for the next generation in your life. Be an example. Care, advise, and protect. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this morning. And God, thank you that when we have questions, we can have confidence that your word has the answer. And God, it's usually not that we don't know what to do, it's that we struggle to do what we know to do. And so today, Lord, I pray that you would help us to walk away from here and not say, well, that was a good Sunday, but to say, Lord, change me. Help me to be better at what you've asked me to do. God, thank you for being the perfect Father who protects us, who advises us, who cared enough to send your Son to the cross and became the example of what it looks like to live life perfectly. Lord, I pray that someone here doesn't know you as Savior. They come to know you today. If you're here this morning, you've never placed your faith in Jesus, I'd love for you to do that. In fact, I'd say this to you as a parent. Um, I, I parented with Jesus for 23 years. I don't know how in the world you're doing it without him. <laughs> if you have questions, you got a card when it came in. If you'll give us a name and a phone number, a way to contact you, we'd love to reach out to you and answer any questions you have. Lord, thank you again for this morning in Jesus.